Please take your Bibles and open to Proverbs chapter 10. I'm just going to read verse 7 of Proverbs 10. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. So let's look to God and ask for his help as we come to the ministry of the word this morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would help us as we have just prayed as we consider your word today and what you have to say to us at this time in the life of our congregation, especially in the wake of the homegoing of our dear brother, Mr. Gurgulis. Thank you for him. Thank you for his testimony. Especially we thank you for your word and for your son, our Savior, and ask that you would help us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, both to preach and to hear your word for the glory of not of us or of anyone on this earth, but of Jesus Christ, your Son, the glory of your name. And we ask it all in his name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, already this month, God has brought us as a church into the house of mourning. There were several deaths of siblings, of members of our congregation in about a two-week span back at the beginning of January. But two days ago, as Pastor Khan mentioned, Mr. George Gurgulis, a longtime member of Trinity Baptist Church, went home to be with the Lord. He was 94 years old. He was, as Pastor Khan mentioned, one of the two remaining members of Trinity Baptist Church who were original members, the one remaining still a member of this church is Pastor Martin, though he was gone for a number of years and was not here all those days, and though as well, we may never see him here worshiping with us again, uh, but God has taken Mr. Gurgulis. In his case, different from the case of those three siblings of mem members that I mentioned had died around the early part of January. In Mr. Gurgulis's case, Almost all of us have met him. So as we contemplate the death of this righteous man, we can be thankful for a number of things. And the first one is for the mem memory of the righteous in the sense of the memory of this righteous man, this dear saint of God. Like our text says in the first half of that verse that I read, Proverbs 10, 7, the memory of the righteous is blessed. When it speaks of the memory of the righteous, it, it certainly speaks of our memories of him. It also speaks of his reputation. Notice how in the second part of the verse, where there's some parallelism, it says about the righteous, his memory is blessed. It says about the wicked, his name will rot. So it's talking about someone's name or his reputation. 
And then it says that the memory of the righteous is blessed. And that could mean a number of things. And I like to think that often, at least, maybe not always, but with the Proverbs, when it could mean more than one thing, it, it's likely that it does mean more than one thing because in a peculiar way, this is a book of the Bible where every statement is loaded with meaning. And they are brief, pithy statements, and they are poetry because um, in such statements you can pack a lot of meaning. And as we turn these phrases over in our minds, we see more and more sides of the truth that's there. So I'm not going to single out any one of these things. You can single out which one you like, and you can say, I think it's really this, especially fine. But blessed could mean several things here, I think. It could mean when it says the memory of the righteous is blessed, it could mean blessed by God or even blessed by men. In other words, God thinks and says and, and displays in his, his thinking and what he does. God thinks good things about such people and states good things, if you will, about them as he will when they enter into glory on the last day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's a blessing by God. Or it could be blessings by men, like children are told that they should rise up and call their mother blessed if she's a God-fearing woman at the end of this book of Proverbs. Think about Jesus, and it says in Luke 2.52, that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God, but not just with God, but also with men. So it could mean they're blessed by God or by men or both. One translation, the ESV, a very recent translation relatively of the New Testament, or the Bible, I should say, says here in this statement, it says, the memory of the righteous is a blessing. So the memory is a blessing. Maybe in other words, it's a blessing to us, to those who knew him and think about him. So that when we think about this person, we say, thank you, Lord, that I could know this dear saint. I was asked to preach at the memorial service coming up on Saturday and after I was asked that, one of the things I spent um, part of the day doing yesterday was reading some things that I thought would just help me to think in a good frame about preaching for the death of an elderly, well-beloved saint. And one of the things I came across was a, a letter I had written to my mother on the Mother's Day after my dad had died 20-some years ago. And then that I said to my mom, and, and my dad's situation was that he was relatively young and his death was very sudden, so it was a real shock and a blow. But I said to my mom, I said, you know, mom, for all those realities, I have to say that whenever I think of dad, almost the first words in my mind or out of my mouth are, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I had that man for a dad. Thank you that I could know him, and I think we can think that way about a man like George Gergelis, whether we are 
his children or grandchildren, or whether we are simply members of the church where he was a member. I hope that's the case. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. The NIV states it this way. The memory of the righteous is used in blessings. I think of Ruth chapter 4, where it says, I think I didn't look it up, but I, I, this is what I remember it says, so you can correct me if I didn't get it right. It says something like when um, um, Ruth is going to marry uh, Boaz, may the Lord make you like Leah and like Rachel, who had many children. Isn't the name is used in blessings. I usually don't this quote this um, translation of the Bible, but the New Living Testament says it this way. We have happy memories of the godly. I've said about how I was at my mom's deathbed a few years ago, and she was literally on the deathbed for two and a half weeks. There were many things about it that were not pleasant. But I thank God that whenever I see her picture, I, I, I don't think we, st I still have it on the refrigerator, but we had one on the refrigerator for a long time. The picture of her that was given out at the memorial service. And it was a very nice picture of my mom. And I've remarked to my wife many times, whenever I walked by that, I said almost my instinctive reaction is either to smile or even to laugh out loud to think about what a good mother I had and how thankful I am for her. Now, I wouldn't necessarily choose any one of those alternate translations. And here's the reason I wouldn't. Because I like the ambiguity of the statement, the memory of the righteous is blessed. In other words, it could be taken in any and all of those ways. And that's just my preference at this point in my life as I come to Proverbs 10, verse 7. The memory of the righteous is blessed. It makes me think of Hebrews 11.2 when it's speaking about the many saints of the Old Covenant. And it says this about them when it's talking about their faith. For by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Why is the memory of the righteous blessed? It's their memory because this text is talking about them after they've gone away from this world. Just like in the last part of the verse about the wicked, the name of the wicked will rot. People may have thought highly of them, but when the end of the day comes and all the truth is sorted out from the error, their memory will rot. It either, maybe they weren't that bad, and it'll just rot in the sense that it'll disappear, or maybe they weren't as good as they presented themselves to be and wanted people to think of them, and it will rot in the sense that it will become putrid. But in contrast, when it comes to the godly, by faith they obtained a good testimony. I don't like all that much the phrase, we're going to have a memorial service and celebrate the life of so-and-so. 
Now, there's some things about that that I do like, I will confess. And I like it because it's positive and because in the case of a good person, we can celebrate their life that they lived. And like I said, uh, we can laugh about it. We can smile that we knew them. We can give thanks to God. The, only, the main reason I don't like it is this. The Bible, I don't, can't think of any place where it talks about a saint dying and it speaks about the people celebrating their life. The, the biblical language is they mourned. I can think of another number of places. It's irrelevant right now where they are. You, we can talk about that later. Ecclesiastes 7. When someone dies, what house do we enter into? The house of mirth? No. The house of mourning where God has brought us today. As Pastor Khan mentioned, death is an enemy. And that's why we say, many people say, celebrating the life, because we don't want to face that reality. We don't want to face the reality that even in the case of the godly, there's a sense in which at the end of their life, by definition, death triumphs, even if it's just momentarily. In the case of a genuinely good person, as I said, a righteous person, as it says here, a Christian, there is something to celebrate. He has finished the race. He's gone to glory, as we say. He's gone home. The Lord has taken him to be with himself. He's been delivered from all the sorrow and pains and hardships of this life, especially when it's an elderly saint and we think very specifically of some of the th hardships and pains they have to endure in the later stages of their life. So we do remember them the way this text says, and, and it's a blessing to remember them. We'll focus more on that in a couple of weeks regarding Mr. Gurgulis at the memorial service. But for the moment, as we think of this text and one of our dearly loved ones having gone home to be with the Lord... Matthew Henry says, when we come to this text and think about the memory of the righteous being blessed, he says it tells us that we ought to first delight in making an honorable mention of good men that are gone. Secondly, we should bless God for them, say, thank you, Lord, for this man, for his life, for his testimony. Thank you that I could know him Thank you that I could benefit from his friendship. Third, we should bless God for his, that is God's, gifts and graces that appeared in these righteous ones. And then fourthly, especially, we, that is you and I, should be followers of them in the things in their life which were good. Think of the statement in Hebrews 13 and verse 7. Remember those who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. In other words, the writer is saying to saints that he's writing to, and he's trying to fix their minds on pastors that they once had who were faithful but have gone from this world to be with the Lord. They've died and he says, remember them, here it talks about the memory of the righteous, 
whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. We should think thoughts like that when a saint like George Gergelis goes home to be with the Lord and we should be determined to follow their faith. I first ever heard this song when my dad passed away and someone played it. It was written by Steve Green. It said, May all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we lead inspire them to obey. I hope the Christian life and testimony of George Gergelis will not be lost on us. Whether you're an elderly person, like I am, or a very young person who says, I think I know who Mr. Gergelis was. I hope the godly life he lived as a righteous man will not be lost on you. He was not a public person. He never became an officer in this church, as far as I'm aware. He did not amass a fortune in this world's possessions. But you know what he was? Mr. Gergelis was a faithful man. Whenever he could be, even in his old age, though he lived the better part of an hour away from here, till he thought it was unwise for him to keep driving to church, he came. Same on Wednesday nights, till he concluded, I shouldn't be driving in the dark. He was in his regular seat at prayer meeting. And not only that, he got up and prayed a good portion of those prayer meetings. His prayers were always edifying. In these last days of his, he didn't live all that long at the uh, assisted living facility where he was, at uh, Victoria Muse, I believe it is, in Booton. He taught a Bible study until just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, when he took a downturn in his health and strength, and he said, I just can't do it anymore. He loved to do it. So you knew something was up if he couldn't do it. But I thought about that, and I, and I thought about it in terms of, um, well, these terms. In a sense, he was living the dream and I say that because I remember when I first learned about old folks' homes and um, nursing homes and things like that, and it was, I was a Christian, but I was a, I was a relatively young Christian and a relatively young man. And for many, many years, I've thought, well, well maybe, maybe if I go to one of those places someday and I, I really don't have anything else to do and I, and I can't go anywhere, I can't drive, maybe I could do something like he was doing. Speak to people about Christ. Tell them about the gospel. Lead a Bible study. That's what he was doing. And I thought, there's in a sense, he's living my dream. I might not get old enough to uh, get in a place like that. Or if I do, I might not have the ability left to lead a Bible study. 
He did, and what a blessing that was, even though it didn't last all that long. He was living the dream. I first ever heard that one time when I went to, um, out to a big Harley-Davidson um, gathering in Sturgis, South Dakota one time. I, I don't have a hog, but um, <laughs> I, I just happened to be there because I took my kids and some other kids in our church to a, um, to, to a, a youth retreat in Rapid City, South Dakota that weekend and I didn't have any responsibilities in the retreat so my wife and I said we're going to go visit the state park well we thought is this state park always overrun with motorcycles it wasn't but we kind of decided well let's instead of complain about it let's enter into it so I got myself in a lot of pictures on guys motorcycles I, I always asked first before I did it because I wanted to go out of there alive but that's where I learned this phrase, live in the dream. In other words, these guys would say, you know, they're 50 plus year olds and they drove halfway across the country on their Harley and it was living the dream for them. I looked at Mr. Mr. Gergelis' life. He was living the dream there. He obtained a good testimony. He was doing what he could to serve the Lord and God blessed him by enabling him to do that. I hope you will consider George Gergelis' life and think about it and think about the end of it. Like it says in Hebrews 13, considering the outcome of their conduct, not how much money did he have when he died or, or what kind of fame did he have. When he, I hope you consider his life as a faithful Christian man and say to yourself, Lord, let me be like him. I said about my dad when he died, and I still say it today. Lord, let my end be like his. I don't care if I'm wealthy. I don't care to get a name. I just want to live and die as a faithful Christian man. You might say, well, that's not a very lofty aspiration. You read your Bible and you tell me if there's a higher aspiration that I should have and I'll adopt it. So that's the first thing. The memory of the righteous, in particular, this one righteous man who has recently been removed from us. And that leads to another consideration, and that is the memory of you. The memory of you, individually, each one of you. We should think about that. It's good, it's a good and righteous thing for you and me to remember the righteous, to think about their life, as I've been saying. It's not wrong. I know that there are people who would say to you, they wouldn't want, even in their funeral service or memorial service, to have so many things said about them in that service. They just they want all the attention to be upon God. Well, God wants all the attention to be upon God, quite frankly, as well. But in his word, he put this, the memory of the righteous is blessed. And so I want to be faithful to preach the word. The whole word of God. And I think it's right to say things like I've said at a time like this and to say things that we'll be saying 
on February 10th when we have the memorial service as well. It's good and right for us to remember the righteous. And then, as Matthew Henry said, it's good for us to aim to be remembered in such a good way as well. That's a good aim for you. Look for a moment with me at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 and verse 17. We'll just read this one verse because it has the whole thought in it that I want to use here. The Apostle Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example as an apostle, as a preacher, as a Christian man. Join in following my example. Now, in another place, he said, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. But here he doesn't mention that. He doesn't have to. Join in following my example. In other words, if there's anything good you see in my life, follow it. And not just me, he's saying, because I'm an apostle. He says, and note those who so walk. In other words, it's true about other Christians. If there are good, faithful, godly Christians among you, look at their lives. And imitate them as you have us for a pattern. Himself, his fellow apostles, those other mature godly believers among them in the church in Philippi. You see a good person, in other words? Don't just say, well, he's nothing compared to Christ. Say, well, I see that in that area of his life at least, he's faithful, she's faithful. And especially if it makes you think, well, I, I wish I were that faithful in that particular area of my life. Don't stop there. and so don't, don't stop and say, but I'll never be. Don't say for sure, well, but that makes me feel guilty and it makes me feel unworthy, so I'm just not going to think about it. Keep thinking about it and ask God to help you to be more faithful and more like that faithful Christian. Do that. Now, you do it not like a Pharisee who wants the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Don't do it like that. Don't do it because you want a name for yourself. Do it with an eye toward pleasing God and not people. I mean, there is a sense in which if you're a Christian, you say, I want to do the will of God. I want to do the will of Christ. No matter what anybody thinks about it. Probably none of us will be in the kind of a situation like Athanasius, a Christian man and preacher in the early centuries of the church. He was involved in the controversy about who Jesus Christ was in the fourth century. And there was one point at which, and his, his view on the subject of who Christ was, was a very biblical view. He had the doctrine that we hold, that we believe the Bible teaches, that the church, those who really understand the Bible, have believed throughout the ages that Christ is truly God and he is truly man. Not more of one and less of the other. He had the biblical view. But at one point, it was as if he was the only theologian and preacher 
who was standing for the biblical view. So he is reputed to have said, if the world is against Athanasius, then Athanasius is against the world. Now we should all want to be that kind of Christian who say, I only care what God thinks, I do not care what people think. But that shouldn't be entirely true, brethren. We should want God enabling us to have a good reputation. And even Athanasius, after the dust settled, because he had that attitude, he has a good reputation. The memory of the just is blessed in his case. It's a legitimate secondary motive for us to think about how will I be remembered. It's kind of like earlier in this chapter where it says in verse 1, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. In other words, he's saying, son, as you grow up, I want you to think about the effect of your conduct in your life on other people, especially two of them your dad, and your mom. And that's a legitimate thing to think, kids. I still think that way, God helping me. I don't want to soil the name of my parents, even though they're in the grave. Because there are people around me in this world that knew them. You should think that way. But let's focus on three things when we think about the memory of you. The memory of you. As you look forward to the day you die, to getting old, to what your reputation is going to be like, if you want your memory to be blessed and you don't want your name to rot, then there are three things that you need to do if you want to have your memory be blessed. The first one is to be a Christian. That's, that's the baseline. It says there, the memory of the righteous is blessed. It's not the memory of the wicked. And there's only two categories in this world. There's the righteous and there are the wicked. You need to be a Christian if you want your memory to be blessed. You may get honor without being a Christian. But if that happens, let's say you become famous. famous. You could become a famous athlete. You could become a famous... Um, politician, you could become a famous author or artist or scientist, an inventor, whatever it might be. But even if that happens and you get a lot more fame during your lifetime than anyone else in this room has ever had or all of us put together, any honor that you receive, if you're not a righteous person, a believer in God, will be utterly without meaning. It'll just be praise from men that you get and none from God. And it will be very, very fleeting. It won't last long. And what will especially be fleeting is your enjoyment of it. That will not last long at all. As I said, there are two great groups of people in this world. There are the righteous and the wicked, or as Jesus described it in Matthew 25, sheep and goats those on the right hand at the day of judgment and those on the left hand. And at the end, all that will matter is if you on the last day are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then, if you are, we can say your memory 
will be blessed. If not, it will not. And so this is the first thing. If you want to have your memory be blessed, get right with God. And you should get right with God today. Get right with God today so that you may be a good person, a righteous person. Now, the Bible does recognize the goodness even of things that are done by unbelievers. There are many things that unbelievers have done in this world, not just people that I've known and done them to me, but just they have done in this world and I benefit from them and I thank God for it. In that sense, they're good works. But the Bible says if something is not done from faith, ultimately it is not good. And it's not pleasing to God. So get right with God today so that you might be a truly good person as you walk through this life. Get right with God today so that when you die, you will die well. Full of faith in God, not full of fear and full of regrets and full of bitterness. And get right with God today so that one day when you're gone from this world, your memory will be blessed. I wish that blessing upon you, upon everyone sitting here. Whether you're a Christian or not, but if you're not a Christian, you ought to become a Christian so that your memory might be blessed. That's, that's not one of the highest motives, but I'm preaching on Proverbs 10.7 this morning. That's the first thing, be a Christian. The second thing is, so that your memory might be blessed... Lose yourself in Jesus Christ. In other words, don't just say, okay, I need to become a Christian. What should I do? Tell me what I need to believe. Tell me what I need to understand. Tell me what ritual I should go through. Oh, get baptized? Oh, get a, become a member of the church? You know, you could do all those things and not necessarily really be a righteous person and know God through Jesus Christ. You need to come to know Christ personally. You need to lose yourself in Christ. John the Baptist once said these words, speaking about Jesus. He said he was a, he was a, a very well-known preacher. He was the most famous preacher of his day in the nation of Israel. It was a small nation, but frankly, way back then, all nations were small. He was a very famous man. And he was such a famous preacher to this day, people read about him every day in every part of the world. Now that could go to somebody's head if they're that famous. But when he saw Jesus, he said to his, his disciples, those who followed him and listened to his preaching, he, that is Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. Now, that is a true Christian attitude, and it's ultimately every real Christian's attitude. And so that's what I mean when I say, lose yourself in Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, everything changes in this regard. Prior to that, your life, generally speaking, for an unbeliever, is all about you. Afterwards, it's all about Jesus Christ. And that's why I say you need to lose yourself in Jesus Christ. And I say this especially conscious that I speak to a lot of people who have grown up in a Christian church. So you had Christian parents. They taught you the Bible. They taught you the gospel. They read the Bible every day, every night to you. 
They, when you have family worship, they take you to church. They make you go to Sunday school. They make, you, they make you do your lessons. They make you memorize the Bible sometimes. They tell you to read it every day. When you won't do it on your own, they make you do that, etc. They bring you to church where you hear sermons about Jesus. and It gets old. But I, I include this point. Lose yourself in Jesus Christ so you understand that a Christian is not somebody, as he starts getting a little older, says, you know, my parents say that. It's got to be all about Jesus. And you've got to look to his word in making every major decision in your life and so on and so forth. But that's what my parents say. That's what the church says. But as I get older, I see there's other ways to live. And this is what I think. And you start thinking, but this is what I want. That's what I'm saying you need to avoid. It's all about me. You can make it that in your life. But in the end, your name will rot and your, your name will not be blessed. You need, if you want your name to be blessed, you need to bend your will. You need to let your desires and the direction of your life be determined not by your lusts, your pleasures, your preferences, but by Christ and by his word. We were at the youth gathering last night as Pastor Hoffmeyer mentioned, and I thought, and I prayed, and I do pray, Lord, here are all these young people who have come out on a Saturday night to an event called Ask the Pastors. I thought, what a blessing that they would want to be at such a thing. But I, I, I thought and prayed, and I do pray, don't let these young people go their own way. In the end, don't let them do that. Let them follow Jesus and let them follow him with all their heart and with all their being. And that's what I urge you to do if you're a young person or if you're an old person. Lose yourself in Christ. And then the third thing under this heading of your um, memory, the memory of you, if you want to have a good memory, a blessed memory, the third thing is then bear fruit in your life. Bear fruit in your life. There was a woman who anointed Jesus before he died. She poured oil on his head, perfume. And we read these words in Mark 14, 9 about her. Jesus said about this woman, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. There's a, there's a person, a righteous person, whose memory was blessed. We're reading about her. You, you just heard about her now. Around 2,000 years after she did that. And again, she's someone whose name is blessed. Her memory is blessed all throughout this earth. On every continent. The goal is not to make a name for yourself. The, the goal is not to get your name in a bestseller like the Bible so people hear about you. 
It's not to start a movement. It's not to be a successful. It's to bear fruit. That's what God wants in your life. You do good things as the fruit of God's sovereign grace, as we heard this morning, to save you. And what is bearing fruit? Bearing fruit is simply doing what Christ tells you to do, doing what is pleasing to Him, what is pleasing to the Father. And it all begins with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, repentance and faith in the gospel. And that leads to my third point here. We've had the memory of the righteous. We've had the memory of you. And now thirdly and finally, the memory of the righteous one. The memory of the righteous one. In Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, he spoke about Jesus Christ as the righteous one. And in Paul's defense of himself in Jerusalem when he was arrested there in the temple in Acts chapter 22 when he addressed the people who were in front of him he spoke of Jesus Christ as the righteous one and we're told in Luke 24 that when Jesus spoke to his apostles he told them about how all the scriptures of the Old Testament testify about him so I think that there's a sense in which we could say the memory of the righteous or the righteous one is blessed, certainly is telling us something about Jesus. And his memory is blessed, isn't it? His people throughout this world today have praised and are praising his name. And the host in heaven are praising his name. And we will one day join them, brethren, as our dear brother, Mr. Gurgulis, has to praise his name. The memory of the righteous one. It is blessed. And his righteousness, as you know, eclipses the righteousness of every other. And so does his memory. To the point that God explicitly directs us as the church of Christ to dwell on his memory constantly. And I'm not talking about in this text, though that's true as well. I'm talking about in what we call the sacrament or the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Isn't that what he does exactly? Jesus said in 1 Corinthians 11, among other places, do this in remembrance of me. He wants us to constantly remember him. To remember brings means to bring something that we already know to our mind so it is fresh and so it is vivid. So whether you're thinking about a saint that you once knew, or you're reading a biography of a saint that God used in a wonderful way, that you're bringing the memory to your mind. Well, God wants us to do that about other saints, yeah? But he especially wants us to do, about, do it about his son, the righteous one. And he gave us that ordinance so that we would do it. So that, that it will be fresh and vivid in our minds, especially the death of Christ. But it's not simply the death of Christ. It's the memory of Christ himself. Notice the wording of Jesus on that night when he established the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. He didn't say, do this in remembrance of the cross. 
Do this in remembrance of my death. Though that's what he was saying, especially. But he says it this way. Do this in remembrance of me. And it reminds us, as we've already heard today, that all the blessings that Christ, that we have in Christ, come to us in him. All the blessings he earned by his death come to us in him. He didn't just put them in a bank of heaven that we can draw out of. He is the bank. He is the conduit. He's the instrument. He's the means of the blessing coming to us. All the blessings come to us in him. As we heard this morning, we receive every spiritual blessings, blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are saved through union with him, as we're being reminded of in these recent weeks in Romans chapter 6. Saving faith, saving faith is found not simply in a set of teachings, like I said earlier. It is found first and foremost in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became man. Jesus prayed this prayer on the night that he died, and this is eternal life, praying this to God the Father, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is the one way that you can attain these blessings, not just what we could call the minor blessing of your memory being made a blessing to others, but the blessing of glory, the blessing of eternal fellowship with God in Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, said to people in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You need to come to him. The Christian faith is not like going to a museum where we can go and remember people who have lived in the past and learn about them. It's not coming to the restored birthplace of some famous person, like near where I live is the birthplace of a man who served as president once, Grover Cleveland. It's this. You go, this is the Christian faith, you go to Christ himself the risen and living Savior of anyone who is going to be saved from their sins. He is the holiest, the best, the most beautiful, the most gracious man who ever walked the face of this earth. And yet some of you who know that, because you've heard it many, many times, in some cases, you've heard it for many, many years. You don't want him. But you need to realize that whether you want him or not right now, you need him. You need him if you are ever going to know true joy, true delight, true satisfaction in living, and especially if you are going to avoid having your name rot. And worse than that, having your very self rot in what Jesus called the lake of fire, where the worm does not die 
and the fire is not quenched. May that not be the lot of anyone that I'm speaking to today. Come to Jesus so that you will be ready for the day that he says to you, like he said to a man in one of his parables who thought he should build big barns because he was going to live for a long time. And an angel came to him that night and said, this night your soul will be required of you. Mr. Gurgulis lived to be 94. You might, you might not. These others that died in the earlier parts of their, a part of the month, I don't know exactly. I think one of them might have been in his 70s, one of them in his 60s, one of them in his 50s. We've been praying lately for a little baby that's just a few months old. You don't know when God will say to you, this night your soul is required of you. May you be ready for that day. There's only one way to be ready. Come to the place at which you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ by repentance and faith in him. And your memory will be blessed and you will be blessed greatly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would take it and write it on our hearts. Thank you for our dear brother, George Gurgulis. Thank you for taking him safely to yourself in glory. Thank you for the gospel and this word here from Proverbs chapter 10. Write it upon our hearts. Bring forth fruit in our lives. Bring sinners this day to saving faith in Jesus, your son. And we ask all of this in his blessed name. Amen.